Welcome to He That Hath Ears, Listen Podcast. My name is Dave Krupa, a Christian and student of the Bible. Each episode, I will share lessons I learned from God's Word to help on the Christian journey in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time exploring the Bible with me today. Now, let's listen. Today's podcast is based on a story I found on the internet a few years ago. I think this story is true, but I can't guarantee it. 17-year-old Brian Moore had only a short time to write something for a class. The subject was what heaven was like. I wowed him, he later told his father, Bruce. It's a killer. It's the bomb. It's the best thing I ever wrote. It also was the last. Brian's parents had forgotten about the essay when a cousin found it while cleaning out the teenager's locker at Tees Valley High School in Pickaway County. Brian had been dead only hours, but his parents desperately wanted every piece of his life near them. Notes from classmates and teachers, his homework and such. Only two months before, he had handwritten the essay about encountering Jesus in a file room full of cards detailing every moment of the teen's life. But it was only after Brian's death that his parents realized that their son had described his view of heaven. It makes such an impact that people want to share it. You feel like you were there, Mr. Moore said. Brian Moore died May 27, 1997, the day after Memorial Day. He was driving home from a friend's house when his car went off the road and struck a utility pole. He apparently emerged from the wreck unharmed, but stepped on a downed power line and was electrocuted. His parents framed a copy of Brian's essay and hung it among the family portraits in the living room. I think God used him to make a point. I think we were meant to find it and make something out of it his mother said of the essay. She and her husband want to share their son's vision of life after death. I'm happy for Brian. I know he's in heaven. I know I'll see him. Brian's essay, The Room. In that place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in the room. There were no distinguishing features except for the one wall covered with small index card files. They were like the ones in libraries that list titles by author or subject in alphabetical order. But these files, which stretch from floor to ceiling and seemingly endless in either direction, had very different headings. As I drew near the walls of files, the first to catch my attention was one that read, Girls I Have Liked. I opened it and began flipping through the cards. I quickly shut it, shocked to realize that I recognized the names written on each one. And then, without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with its small files was a crude catalog system for my life. Here were written the actions of every moment, big and small, in a detail my memory couldn't match. A sense of wonder and curiosity coupled with horror stirred within me as I began randomly opening files and exploring their content. 
Some brought joy and sweet memories. Others, a sense of shame and regret so intense that I would look over my shoulder to see if anyone was watching. A file named Friends was next to the one marked Friends I Have Betrayed. The titles range from mundane to the outright weird. Books I have read, lies I have told, comfort I have given, jokes I have laughed at. Some were almost hilarious in their exactness. Things I've yelled at my brothers, others I couldn't laugh at, things I have done in my anger, things I have muttered under my breath at my parents. I never ceased to be surprised by the contents. Often there were many more cards than I expected, sometimes fewer than I hoped. I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the life I had lived. Could it be possible that I had the time in my years to fill each of these thousands or even millions of cards? But each card confirmed this truth. Each was written in my own handwriting, each signed with my signature. When I pulled out the file marked TV shows I have watched, I realized the files grew to contain their contents. The cards were packed tightly, and yet after two or three yards, I hadn't found the end of the file. I shut it, shamed, not so much by the quality of shows, but more by the vast time I knew that file represented. When I came to a file marked Lustful Thoughts, I felt a chill run through my body. I pulled the file out only an inch, not willing to test its size, and drew out a card. I shuddered at its detailed content. I felt sick to think that such a moment had been recorded. An almost animal rage broke on me. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see these cards. No one must ever see this room. I have to destroy them. In insane frenzy, I yanked the file out. Its size didn't matter now. I had to empty it and burn the cards. But as I took it one end and began pounding it on the floor, I could not dislodge a single card. I became desperate and pulled out a card, only to find it as strong as steel when I tried to tear it. Defeated and utterly helpless, I returned the file to its slot. Leaning my forehead against the wall, I let out a long, self-pitying sigh. And then I saw it. The title bore people I have shared the gospel with. The handle was brighter than those around it, newer, almost unused. I pulled on its handle and a small box not more than three inches long fell into my hands. I could count the cards it contained on one hand. And then the tears came. I began to weep, sobs so deep that they hurt. They started in my stomach and shook through me. I fell on my knees and cried. I cried out of shame, from the overwhelming shame of it all. The rows of file shells swirled in my tear-filled eyes. No one must ever, ever know of this room. I must lock it up and hide the key. But then as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. No, please not him. Not here. Oh, anyone but Jesus. 
I watched helplessly as he began to open the files and read the cards. I couldn't bear to watch his response, and in the moments I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw a sorrow deeper than my own. He seemed to intuitively go to the worst boxes. Why did he have to read every one? Finally, he turned and looked at me from across the room. He looked at me with pity in his eyes. But this was a pity that didn't anger me. I dropped my head, covered my face with my hands, and began to cry again. He walked over and put his arm around me. He could have said so many things, but he didn't say a word. He just cried with me. Then he got up and walked back to the wall of files. Starting at one of the room, he took out a file and one by one began to sign his name over mine on each card. No, I shouted, rushing to him. All I could find to say was no, no, as I pulled the card from him. His name shouldn't be on these cards, but there it was, written in red so rich so dark, so alive. The name of Jesus covered mine. It was written with his blood. He gently took the card back. He smiled a sad smile and began to sign the cards. I don't think I'll ever understand how he did it so quickly, but the next incident seemed I heard him close the last file and walk back to my side. He placed his hand on my shoulder and said, It is finished. I stood up and he led me out of the room. There was no lock on its door. There were still cards to be written. I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Philippians 4 and 13 but God commendeth his love towards us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 and 8. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10 and 13. I think this is a powerful story that really depicts exactly what was done on our behalf. And when I read this essay again and again, written by this remarkable 17-year-old, I always think about three different lessons from this story that we should learn and apply to our lives. The first lesson is there will be a day of judgment in which we all will be held accountable. Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 25, looking at verses 31 through 32. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. 
and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews 9 and 27. Jude 14 and 15 reads this way, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. We're going to be judged according to privilege. Let's look at Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 42. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if, that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken? The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. John writes in chapter 3, verse 19, And this is the condemnation, that light is come unto the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. He goes on in John chapter 9, verse 41, and says, Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, you should have no sin. But now ye say, We see. Therefore your sin remaineth. And turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, 
Have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all of this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us, that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. From these sections of scriptures, it is very clear that God is going to judge us according to our deeds, according to the knowledge we had of him, and whether we acted upon that knowledge or not. And obviously, from this story from the rich man and Lazarus, it doesn't sound like we want to be anywhere where this rich guy is. He's so tormented that he wants one drop of water to cool his tongue. And then he finds out he can't have that. So he asks to have somebody go to his brethren so they don't have to come to this horrible place. And notice what the story says. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither are they going to be persuaded, even though one rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, and yet men are still not persuaded. We're going to be judged. We all are going to stand judgment. And it's going to be based upon the level of knowledge, our privilege, of knowing of God. And it's also going to be according to the works we commit in this lifetime. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 through 10. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Peter wrote, If ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here. 1 Peter 1 and 17. And John wrote in the book of Revelations, chapter 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. 
And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Sounds a lot like that card system that Brian described in his essay. Revelations 22 and 12 says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Not only going to be judged by the knowledge and whether we acted upon that knowledge of Jesus, but we're going to be judged for all the works we do in this lifetime, good or bad. The second lesson I think we need to realize from this essay of Brian's is that there is good news. Jesus died for our sins. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Matthews 26 and 28. His blood cleanses us from our sins. This cleaning is a gift from God. There is nothing we can do to earn it. Paul wrote, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8 and 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul wrote in Romans as well. The gift that Paul was talking about was made when we were yet undeserving of that gift. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5 and 8. The third point I get from Brian's essay, although it's a little subtle, so you got to really pay attention, is about when he opened the catalog drawer that had people I shared the gospel with. Our mission as Christians is to share the gospel. Turn with me to Mark 16, 15, and 16. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. We know this as the Great Commission. It is the commission. It is the number one priority for those following Jesus to do. Share the good news. Brian did that through his essay, and I think he did a very admirable job of doing so. Just as other writers have done. Ezekiel 3 and 17 says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them a warning. And look what Paul wrote to the young preacher in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. I charge ye therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, 
be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I look around the world today, and in my opinion, Paul's talking about the time we're living in history right now. But I'm sure every generation felt that way. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now you may be thinking, Boy, I don't know. I don't think I could preach. I don't think I can evangelize. I don't think I could teach. But yet, we're told to share the gospel. People do that in very different ways. Some people do it in front of a group of people. Others do it via the TV. Or even a podcast such as this. And there are some that use... The written word, such as Brian and his essay, The Room. And then there are those that just talk in plain, simple English to those they care about. About the power of Jesus. About how God's plan of salvation called for one last sacrifice. And that's God's only begotten Son. And how God raised him from the dead. And he will come again to provide judgment for all the world. How? Remember what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. I can do all things through Christ would strengthen me. Jesus will give you the words the courage, and the opportunity to preach the gospel. You just need to be willing to seize the opportunity and do your very best. Thanks for listening. W. Clement Stone wrote, That which you share multiplies, that which you withhold diminishes. If you found this podcast enjoyable, share the link with someone you care about. 